Welcome to Michael Stone's podcast, Awaken the World. This podcast is part of an online community library we're developing, one that contains podcasts, videos, transcripts and booklets based on Michael's talks. The goal of this library and this podcast is to bring mindfulness and mental health into the spotlight. Through this work, we're creating new ways to wake up through socially engaged, conscious, spiritual practice. We're creating a culture of compassion and collaboration. We've left our physical monasteries and we're bringing them online. Before we get to today's podcast, I want to take a moment to ask you to consider becoming a patron of this podcast through Patreon. Pledging is easy and can be as little as $1 per month. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Michaelstone and click on the big orange button on the top right of the page. Thank you for listening. So, good evening. It's nice to be here. Um, I guess I, I just want to mention as we start how wonderful it was last night. Um, many of you here were many of you here were here last night for the pranayama workshop. And was just so happy today. It was a really great evening. Um, and I also just wanted to mention that, um, uh, you know, everything we do here gets recorded and then becomes a podcast on the website. But but it, it, there's some lag time. Um, but uh, before that happens, usually what happens here also gets transcribed and put on a blog. And Mike, Mike, you can put up your hand so people know the culprit. Um, basically... Uh, generously uh, stays up all... He doesn't sleep, actually. (laughs) So actually, everything we covered in Pranayama last night, Mike has already put on the blog. So you you can just go there and read about it. And and so on the website, it's called Notes from the Center. And that's the blog. Um, Yeah. And, and while I'm at it, I also maybe just mention a couple other people. So uh, Jess Markov and Lana um, ha- have been helping out just organize the desk and greeting people when they come in and keeping the sign-in sheet together. So thank you for, for doing that. Yeah. Um, and all the posters and the website design and everything is being done by Carmen. You can put your hand up. <laughs> Um, and if you've ever been to the website or you're reading the posters or the new newsletter, has anyone seen the new newsletter? Mm. That's the, the folded page. It's so amazing. So it's so great to have. Yeah. Uh, so according to my notes, this is week number four of studying an essay written in 1240 by uh, Dogen. So the first week I went through Dogen's biography and some of his, his sort of core ideas. The second week, week we launched into uh, the title of this essay, which is called Mountains and Rivers. That's the second week? 
the third week, which was last week, we started covering uh, the first few paragraphs about how mountains are walking. Um, and if you don't understand how mountains walk, then you don't understand walking. Um, and then I promised at the end of last class that um, I would cover that last sentence this week about sentient and insentient. But then I got some feedback after, like, don't cover, just keep going. <laughs> keep the momentum. Because um, otherwise we'll be here for years. Um, so tonight we'll, we'll just kind of keep going, if, if that's possible. Um, you know, and, and I also just want to mention, because it's on my mind, you know, uh, get to know somebody when you come here. There's so many people who make center of gravity happen, uh, which is all of you. And, and it's really lovely when you come to a place like this, which is not a commercial space, uh, to be able to navigate a space that's not just a commercial space. And uh, there are different ways to do that, and it's not just financial. So it's not just, oh, this is you know by donation, here's what I can give. Um, but it also has to do with meeting other people and finding out also how you can help support community. I know that for me in my life, whenever I've kind of come into community, it's all, I've always sort of been, you know, a little like this for the first decade. You know? <laughs> Because everyone just seems like a joiner. And especially if the guy at the front has a beard, it just seems like a cult. <laughs> uh, but one of the nice things about this cult is it's, a, it, is it's like the cult of non-joiners. So it's like if you took the city and you just tipped it, and all the non-joiners would fall into 187 Street, and a few kind of roll out into Parkdale. <laughs> um, uh, but it's really lovely to meet to meet people who are really interested in spiritual practice uh, and what that means living in a city, what that means in these times where I think so many people tend to dist distrust the ritual of a religious life. Uh, and what we're doing here is religious life. Um, and it's really interesting to explore what that means to have a religious life. Um, free of all the baggage we have around this idea of a religious life. Oh, that's not religion. Uh, this is my uh, painting practice. This is my writing practice. This is my law practice. It's not spiritual. And then I go to on these retreats for my spiritual life. Mm -hmm. and, and then it's so fragmented. And, and so and the other thing is when you meet somebody, it's astonishing, really. And it can change the whole course of your life. So sometimes just meeting somebody like in 10 seconds, it just can change your whole life. And I don't mean the kind of meeting someone where you're going to meet and tonight you're going to find the one. <laughs> I'm coming to Center of Gravity because I'm so lonely and online dating works for my friends. <laughs> so, so I think a byproduct of being here is not the privacy of meditative practice, but also kind of the pro-social aspect of practice. And meditation tends to attract introverts. 
And, and despite what it seems like, my nature is a little more introverted. So actually, it's really good in this practice to kind of find that place where your practice is not just private. So, um, then I also just wanted to say one more thing about the tongue, because it's going to be related to Dogen's essay, which is, uh, and it occurred to me while we were sitting, because we talked about it a lot last night, but, you know, in the, in the sitting practice, we, we spend a lot of time talking about the external geometry of sitting. The nose should be on your navel, the groins uh, wide, top of the groins deep. Mm-hmm. Uh, sacrum at ease, lumbar spine lifted. Um, at the same time, you really want to feel how your tongue, it's actually good sometimes before you sit to massage your tongue. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you have some castor oil. You just take castor oil and put a little espresso in it until the flavor is good. And then uh, your tongue. You can also take the tip of your tongue Let's try it. Behind your two front teeth. Uh, and then you go, ah. <laughs> this is good to do an upward dog. Go. When my son, son comes near me when I'm practicing. <laughs> um, and these are just mudras that you can do with your tongue. So that you can start to just feel what it's like to release the root of your tongue. And your tongue goes down to the hyoid bone, which is the circular bone that sits on top of your trachea, which are just these like semicircles of really sophisticated cartilage. And then the hyoid bone connects back up through the temporal bones. We were doing this earlier, but if you actually take your fingers and you put them at the bottom of your earlobes, you feel there's like a notch there. And if you go forward, that's your jaw, which releases when you sit, unless you have stocks. If you have stocks, your jaw will never release. And it just gets really tight, because you worry. But for those of us who don't have stocks, life is so simple even though we're envious <laughs> all the time. So either you basically you can either be paranoid or envious. <laughs> Where were we? Oh, yeah. But if you go back, you get that. That's, your, that's the skull, right? Can you feel that? And that's the temporal bone. And that's actually connected to the hyoid bone. So as you release the tongue, you can actually feel this release in the temporal bones. And the temporal bones are the bones of the skull that are most influenced by your respiratory diaphragm. So actually, someone who has a lot of tension in their temporal bones, one of the ways you can work with it is by releasing the back of the diaphragm through good breathing. Um, What does this have to do with meditation? Everything. Because the physiology of letting go of clinging happens in the tongue. So when the mind is gripping, this shows up as residue in the tongue. So when you smile softly when you're sitting, the base of the tongue releases, the soft palate lifts. And when you connect that with breathing, the temporal bones 
become spacious. And that's why then we connect with the eyes. So I was saying keep your eyes still, because if your eyes are moving side to side, especially people who sit with their eyes closed, your eyes tend to move around a lot, even though you don't realize it, just like when you're sleeping. Some people are sleeping when they're meditating. I did for the first two years. Um, So if you keep your eyes forward and a little down, you can feel that your suboccipitals, which is what your eyes connect to, release. And if your eyes go up too high, especially people who drop their chin a lot, try this. If you drop your chin and you lift your eyes, you can feel tension here in the subop. It's really bad. Unless you have a lot of tension, it's just no different. I don't feel anything below my nostrils, but I have stocks. And all these envious people trailing around. So, it's really important in sitting that the internal aspect of the alignment is this release of the tongue, the base of the tongue, and also this softness in the eyes, where the eyes are completely still. And this is really the physiology of of non-clinging. And so more and more in meditation practice, as your practice matures, it should become more and more of a physical practice. So to really work with the psychological, you work with the physiological. And likewise, in yoga class, the more we work with the physiological, the more we're working with the psychological. That makes sense. You can't really work one without the other. Um, Okay, so now let's talk a little bit about Dogen and see what he has to say about your tongue. Mountains and Waters Sutra. So just to sum up so far, um, this this fascicle of of Dogen's writing happens when he's 40 years old. He's had it with the the strife in Japanese politics in the capital of Kyoto. And so he leaves the capital to practice and begin a monastery just outside the capital, where I'm actually going to go visit in April. And um, he's writing at his most elegant, um, quoting Chinese poems, quoting old teachers. And and he's just, he's 40 years old, and he's on a roll. A really creative time in his life. Um, he seems to, to go to the mountains to retreat, and yet the, his retreat becomes the, the building of community and, and this, this, this exceptional creative uh, time for him where his writing is so vibrant. And, 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 you know, one question I asked you last week, do you remember we met in groups last week, or was that two weeks ago? And one question I had is, you know, what on earth is Dogen talking about? Do you remember this? This is what I wanted you to explore. And, and some people say this, like, why does Dogen write like this? I mean, if he wants to say something about mountains and waters, why doesn't he just say something about mountains and waters? Has anyone felt like this? You're reading along going, why is he writing like this? But I, I think in that question, there's an assumption that you can say something meaningful about your life with words. There's an assumption that you can go really deeply 
into connected experiences, into intimate experiences in your life, and say them in a not misleading way, with words. That's the assumption in that kind of question. Like, why don't you just say what's on your mind? And Dogen thinks in exactly the opposite way, that it's precisely that words can't capture what's meaningful. It's precisely that language, uh, by definition, is constantly splitting things, that, that we can't capture what's most dear to us with words, that you use words. So Dogen is, is kind of flipping it around. So in a sense, because you can't, because words don't reach things in the way we need them to reach things, then we need to uh, use language in that way. And that's why Dogen's writing the way he's writing. So instead of writing about non-dualism, Dogen's trying to do non-dualism with language. And it's at a time where Zen masters in Japan stopped writing about practice and were just moving into calligraphy, uh, gardens, moving into what we now think of as the Zen arts. And Dogen really felt like, don't abandon language. There, there's a way to keep pushing language where, where you get it to work in this realm of the non-dual. And so I think as a, as a reader of Dogen, you have to appreciate this about Dogen. So when you read Dogen, you can't just be like analytical, like where's this going? You have to kind of let him marinate, marinate you. Imagine you could like put yourself in a Ziploc bag with Dogen overnight, you know, with the text overnight, and just let it marinate you. Instead of this kind of absurd way most of us think, which is, and it's such a kind of American thing, North American thing, which is like, how is this practical? Right? Like, what's this going to do for me? You know? um, how can I make money off of this? You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and lastly, I think at a more psychological or emotional level, you know, it's exactly when we think we can express most, what's most dear to us with language and be right about it, that we hurt ourselves and we hurt others because we get into borrowed phrases and rigid <coughs> viewpoints and the spontaneity of practice with language uh, is lost. For those of you who are interested in you know, philosophy, what's interesting about this too in terms of non-dual philosophy is Dogen is like for language. And a lot of meditation schools are anti-language. And Dogen is the pro-language school, saying it's idealistic to think that meditation is anti-thinking. Does this make sense? A little bit. Um, and we also know, like those of us who are interested in poetry or whatever, you know, when you really let something marinate, uh, it changes how you feel your life. Yeah. So, ho hopefully this is something Dogen can, can teach us. Um, so the last section, he said, uh, mountains walking is just like human walking. Don't doubt mountains walking, even though it doesn't look the same as human walking. 
Do you remember this? We spent a lot of time talking for two weeks uh, about how mountains are walking, and your homework was to go into your life and to look at any place in your life that's rigid or seems heavy like a mountain and see if you can see that walking. So places where you're really stuck or in a relationship with people where the relationship's really stuck or you have a kind of idea about your body that's really fixed or an idea about your career that's very linear and just see all of that as walking. That all those things you think as timeless and inert, they're all walking. And if you look closely at a mountain, it's walking. And if you don't understand that, Dogen says, you don't understand walking. Which is basically like him saying, you don't understand your life. Um, And then he says... um, Green mountains are, oh, green, by the way. Some translations are the mountains are green. Some translations are they're blue. This is the most confusing thing to me. So then, if you go to the Stanford University uh, Soto Research Project, which I think is the coolest thing. This is like a modern way that academics are doing translating, where, where they just kind of open source the translation, and then you can, different academics, you can see how they're going in and translating. And it turns out, in ancient China, which Dogen is sometimes referring to the Chinese here, so the character Dogen's using in Chinese, there's no distinction between green and blue. I don't know how this is possible. But <laughs> this is what I was reading today, that in, in ancient China, green and blue, uh, there were no two, two separate words for those colors. I don't, maybe back then there was no green and blue. And green and blue, we just, you know, because we've been eating genetically modified corn, <laughs> now things look green and some things look blue. Okay, so now here's the section I, I want to go through today. So maybe, Cassandra, do you, do you want to read? Sure. You may not notice those two paragraphs. Do you see the, awesome. I think yours is upside down. You may not notice. You may not notice that you study the green mountains using numerous worlds of phenomena as your standards. Clearly examine the green mountains walking and your own walking. Examine walking backward and backward walking and investigate the fact that walking forward and backward has never stopped since the very moment before form arose, since the time of the king of the empty eon. If walking had stopped, Buddha ancestors would not have appeared. If walking ends, the Buddha Dharma cannot reach the present. Walking forward does not cease. Walking backward does not cease. Walking forward does not obstruct walking backward. Walking backward does not obstruct walking forward. This is called the mountain's flow and the flowing mountains. So, you might have that feeling. What on earth is Dogen talking about? <laughs> and if he wants to say something, why doesn't he just say it? You know, 
But actually, what he's saying is really quite fascinating because he's trying to speak from the tongue of rivers, from the body of mountains. Um, So what he seems to say is that the, the more you look at the physical world, the more it's not there, right? The more you look at the physical world, the more you see space, and the more you realize the physical world is not there in the way you think it's there. And then you get... Is it Heisenberg formula? You know that the observer is constantly influencing the observed. So Dogen is constantly asking you to look closer and closer and closer at mountains, which is exactly what the meditator is being asked to do. Go to the breath, become a connoisseur of breathing, and get closer and closer to the breath until it's not personal anymore. Go into your sadness, which you think is fixed, and get deeper and deeper and closer and closer to your sadness, and then it's not personal in the way you think it is. Go into what brings you joy that you think is the thing that brings you joy, and look at it in a closer way, and then you see it's no thing, really, and that it's impersonal. It is a really fascinating thing to experience. So that he's saying that he's interested in the place where the observer and the observed meet, which I would say another way, which is the, the pairing of perception and, and religious life. That actually when you see something in a way where you're included, uh, you get interdependence. You, you get the kind of a religious level of, of life, which is not deep, but it's also not shallow. Um, so he says, you may not notice that you study the green mountains using numer- numerous worlds of phenomena as your standards which is basically saying the mountains are beyond all the ways you can understand mountains. So so no way that you approach the mountain will you ever really understand the mountain. Um, Then he says, and I love this, clearly examine the green mountains walking and your own walking. Examine walking backward and backward walking. I love that. Um, there's a wonderful artist who comes and practices here, Andrea, who many of you know. Um, So Andrea does this regularly as her practice, is backwards walking. Um, She's got my son doing it now a lot too. Um, Dogen doesn't really mean walking backwards here, but don't tell Andrea. (laughs) Um, This is actually a quote from Zen Lore which means turning the mind backwards, which is basically saying, like, don't always look at the mind as seeking an object, but be able to turn the mind around, which is walking backwards, so the mind can see the nature of mind. Right? It's kind of like how you work when you have a lot of craving. Right? So, for example, if you experience a lot of... Does anybody experience this ever? Craving? No? 
So most of the time, and you probably heard me say this before, but most of the time when we experience craving, we're just focused on the object that we're craving. We don't see the craving. It's just, and then you talk yourself into it or out of it. And then things change, and then it's gone, right? Or you have a problem, right? Or you have debt, right? Well, I bought the fucking dress. <laughs> so, but in, 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 in the life of a yogi, when you experience craving, instead of focusing on the object, you release the object, and you turn the mind back towards the craving just to really feel craving, not the object of the craving. Does this make sense? And then what happens when you really get to know craving, that's walking backwards. And then when you turn around again to see the object, you don't see the object as related to craving. You see the object as having a background, which is, which is just the whole net. Does this make, make sense a little bit? Yeah. You can't see the net if you only see the object with craving. So you have to let go of the craving or you can't see the net. Or uh, as the Buddha would say, if there's craving, the reason why it's bad for you is because you can't see the path. The problem with craving is it prevents you from seeing the path. And what's the path? Action. Okay? So that's what Dogen means by backwards walking. So he's saying really get to know forwards walking, the mind going this way, and really get to know backwards walking. And Dogen is quoting this from a Chinese poet who has a poem. I I read this on the retreat, I think, and I actually can't remember it off by heart, but the poem goes something like, when you look at a river, trace the river back to its source. This is a good thing to do um, when you're washing your hands and face, is, is just visualize the water going through the water table and then all the way back to a cloud. You know? And then keep going. And then where did the cloud get the water? Right? And, and you just... So, so, so there's this, again, this idea of backwards, like just following the moment backwards, um, walking backwards, tracing back. Um, and what's radical about what Dogen is saying here is, is that there's no outside of walking forwards and walking backwards. It's, it's all you've got. Uh, in other words, there's no eternity and there's no beginning. So Dogen calls this beginningless time. We're the king of the empty eon. Um, there's no outside. Does that make sense? No, because right now you're saying, well, we're inside. How can there be no outside? But in this moment, there's no outside of this moment. Although our imagination can create an outside of this moment. Is that confusing? (laughs) Do you ever have times in your day where something's really difficult? And so you try and go outside of the moment. Does anybody do this? No? I I mean, I'm doing this like all the time. Um, So Dogen's saying there's no outside of anything. There's just this. 
And if you create an outside, that's still just this. You can only experience it as just this. There's no outside of forwards walking and backwards walking. Um, and being itself is just this ongoingness, this flashing on and off, just this ongoingness, which is being, which is experience. Um, and so everything is an endless springing forth of being uh, moment to moment to moment to moment. And there's no outside of that. How can you live like this? And how can you die like this? And I think the time people really understand this is when you're with someone and they die. How, how many of you have been with someone when they die? And I mean like you're there. And it's stranger than strange. Uh, they're here, and then they're not here. And sometimes, if you've had this happen a few times, them being here and them not being here actually doesn't seem any different. It's really a weird feeling. And there's a koan like this I just wanted to mention that I like so much. Uh, one day, Master Zengen went with his teacher, Master Dogo, to visit a house where someone had recently died to express their condolences. So you have the master and the, the disciple going to this house to express their condolences. When they were alone, Master Zengen knocked on the coffin. Could you imagine? <laughs> knocked on the coffin and said to Master Dogo, is he alive or dead? Master Dogo says, I will not say alive or dead. Master Zengen says, why won't you say? And Master Dogen sa Dogo says, I will never say. I will never say. It's kind of a famous koan. I'll never say. So could you imagine this? So there's like an open casket you go visit, and you're, you're with your teacher, and they, you know, is he alive or dead? You know? Uh, I, w I won't, how can you say, alive or dead? Someone, sometimes someone passes away, and they're actually more alive to you in their absence. I feel this way about teachers sometimes. Like, sometimes I feel Dogen's my teacher. I, ever since I first started reading Dogen, I feel, I feel this warmth when I read Dogen, that, like, I understand the spirit of what he's getting at. And he's dead, but he's actually also alive right now in, in our Sangha. You know? So um, it, it's so strange when someone dies. They're alive, and, the, and then they die. So, so that's my kind of 50-cent commentary on life and death. How did it happen? They're alive, and then they die. How did that happen? And what's, is there a difference? It's very interesting to contemplate. And then, in a way, this is all we're doing moment to moment. Alive, dying, alive, dying.
So, if walking had stopped, Buddha ancestors would not have appeared. If walking ends, the Buddha Dharma cannot reach the present. Walking forward does not cease. Walking backwards does not cease. Walking forwards does not cease. Walking backwards does not cease. What does that mean? Walking forwards does not cease. Walking backwards does not cease. You can't not walk. You're always walking, right? Every moment is coming and going. Walking forwards doesn't cease. Walking backwards doesn't cease. What does that have to do with your life? That's the question I want to explore tonight. Is that a reasonable question? Walking forwards doesn't cease. Walking backwards doesn't cease. So why don't we get into groups of four and try and choose someone you don't know. Or if it's your first time here and you only know like one person and you're all freaked out, you know, go next to them, hold their hand for this. this. So... Walking forwards does not cease. Walking backwards does not cease. What's he saying here about your life? What's he saying? If it was just a kind of loose line, he wouldn't have kept it. He's, he's trying to say something here about mountains and waters and your life. So let's talk about that for, I don't know, ten minutes. So a group a group of four would be great. Oh, actually, you know you know what? Just to make it a little more complicated, let let's add the sentence that comes after that, which is uh, walking forward does not cease, walking backward does not cease, walking forward does not obstruct walking backward. Okay, so a group of four, and try and keep it to four people or five people, please. Okay. So, so this is a really interesting line, and Dogen is. Um, You know, you could say that Dogen, he's just trying to take you into kind of phys- physical logic, you know, like science, where he, he just wants you to look closer, look closer at your life, look, look closer, look closer at death, look closer at what's showing up in the moment, look closer. And it's interesting if you get into a group to talk about this, cliches are just going to pour out of your mouth. <laughs> Life is just flowing, man. It's just flowing. So, um, we have to like go deeper than that. And that's hard, hard to do. And um, so, so you need to be more like a scientist. How, how do you look closer at something? But then, with physical logic... 
yeah, I don't know if that's a term, but the, the thing about science is that the difference between Dogen, so I would say that what Dogen is saying about mountains and waters and what science says is, is identical. But the difference between Dogen and science is Dogen is not leaving out what do you do with your life. Hmm. You know, So that's why in groups it's nice to talk together. So it's just kind of say, you know, what are we looking at? But to keep our life in the question. You know, and what, what does this mean? What does this mean to me? Dogen's not philosophizing, actually. So what, what, what did you talk about in your group? Especially the shy people, I want to know what you, what you talked about. Um, and how about maybe the way we do this is we'll have like uh, um, a shy person and then an extroverted person, shy person. <laughs> Cassandra? No, we're going to talk about the shy person. I know. I was like, oh, I okay. shouldn't raise okay. my hand, but I didn't. Okay. I think, I think if you're <laughs> Italian, <laughs> by definition... You're in the extroverted. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Okay. <laughs> um, so, well, it's interesting you said the word si- like science or scientist because we we talked a little bit about well, we had a math equation, so we were mathematicians over oh, here. Okay. And um, <laughs> so the walking backwards and forwards, we thought yeah. of like either. Well, actually, I love that you what um, said about like walking forwards is plus one and then walking backwards is like minus one which equals zero which equals nothing or everything or presence which we came to like forward it makes me think of future backwards makes me think of past and Mm -hmm. both of those equal here now Uh and meet and then dogen like meaning making out of it like that's all we have is this moment and on we go to the next one and then it's that play like and the next one's like plus one minus one oof and then plus mm. one minus one oof mm. yeah so you're math students over here great yeah. glad there's one in the room <laughs> you should meet Christiane <laughs> someone else Grant? Um, we're discussing walking forwards as this idea of um, seeing the mountain walking, is it changing over time, and being in the relational world of things separated by time and space, and the um, me and the you, etc. And the idea of walking backwards, if, from what you were describing, was instead of looking outwards at craving to look at Somebody else. And you can respond to any of these other comments. 
to work group justice, but I think we had two prevailing kind of themes or interpretations. Uh, one was sort of drawing from what you were saying about um, moving forwards as kind of living in life and moving backwards, kind of reflecting, noticing the process. So um, perhaps, you know, moving forward in our lives doesn't stop, but the, the reflection piece or the, the mindfulness of what's happening doesn't stop. Mm -hmm. And that moving forward in life or kind of living doesn't necessarily mm -hmm. um, obstruct or get in the way of being mindful of, of what's happening. Mm -hmm. So I think that was one interpretation. And the mm -hmm. second interpretation was um, kind of holding baggage from our past, so carrying, walking backwards as kind of maybe the, the, our past experiences. As we walk forward, we kind of carry that. And so um, the obstruction piece would be that we don't have to necessarily, we would choose in each moment as we're walking forward what parts we're going to carry with us and what parts mm -hmm. we would kind of mm -hmm. leave behind. Mm -hmm. I think that's Yeah, I mean, don't, don't you have to have a kind of like conceptual framework to even imagine you're walking forwards mm -hmm. or walking backwards? Like I've had times where I've been seemingly going forwards, but it feels like mm -hmm. I'm really going backwards. People say this about their career, <laughs> right? Like I'm going to take the job, but it's really a step backwards. Yeah. Or, you know, science says this about the universe, right? That supposedly the universe is expanding. But what on earth does that mean? Uh, you, the, the universe can only expand if you have some kind of idea of a boundary or some kind of relation mm -hmm. where, where it's expanding. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know, did anybody talk about that at all? Because like, <laughs> if you're going forwards, you have to have a kind of idea that you have this life thing or that that's how time works. Mm -hmm. Or so many... And I think Dogen's trying to poke, poke at that a little bit. So did anybody have trouble talking about forwards or backwards? Yes, Sarah. Where I was struggling is that I think when we first think of backwards, we talk about our conditioning and our ancestors and yesterday and what happened this kind of this incarnation of Yeah. But I think what hit me was that Can objectify in any direction. Yeah. yeah. Which, which also makes it always difficult to understand what personal is. So you mentioned at some point that there's something personal. And uh -huh. personal, it's very difficult to know what is personal to me anymore. Yeah. Uh -huh. It seems like everything is not personal. Uh -huh. uh, but yet, the mind continues that personal. Yeah. 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 Yeah, everything's impersonal. 
and yet you want to make sure you're picking your own nose. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. We could just do like Jew, Italian. <laughs> Interpretations, and of course, I always want to have two hours so that Mina can speak. Mina, go, you, you go ahead and then I'll sum up. Walking forwards and backwards was um, um, reference to time um, in, mm. in parallel to the idea of like, um, reflecting onto yourself and um, thinking about an object. And in each moment, you are kind of walking backwards and forwards at the same time. And walking backwards is sort of all your, um, um, what, you, what you have inherited from your culture, from your parents, from your ancestors. And then walking forward is usually what we think of um, as um, going through each moment. Uh-huh. And we're always in, at the same time walking backwards and forwards. Uh-huh. So in a way you could say, in each moment you're both walking <laughs> forwards and backwards, you're both alive and dying, and those things don't obstruct each other. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. So, so uh, that sounds like being. You know. um, in a way, for those of you who have a kind of Buddhist background, this is a, a, a teaching in Mahayana Buddhism, is this idea that n- nothing obstructs anything else. And it comes from the Avatamsaka Sutra, which is the sutra with Indra's net. And that things are so interdependent that nothing actually obstructs anything else. It's a good way to look in you, at your life. Thank you, Mina. Okay, so... I just had an idea of some homework for fun. I was going to give you kind of like more heavy homework. But I thought, just in the spirit of Andrea, who's not here, um, she's on Cortez Island right now, um, freezing cold probably, um, that we could just this week maybe practice walking backwards. So just pretend you're like a total literalist. And, and you're reading Dogen, and you're like, his, his teaching is really about the practice of walking backwards. So you're going to start a whole new walking backwards school, because like this is this is what Dogen taught. Let's try it. So let's just try this week, every day, to do a backward walking practice. Maybe sometimes do it at home, and maybe sometimes just do it on the streetcar. <laughs> or, or just in the street, and just check it out. Like what, 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 what happens to you when you when you walk backwards? Yeah, what's that like? Or uh, I don't remember his name. The, the the guy in Toronto who rides his bike backwards. 
Does anybody know his name? Kensington. In Kensington, yeah. So, uh, anyways, let's not go that far, because I want you back here next week. But, but just see if you can explore walking backwards. And especially if you're like really intellectual and you're like, well, I know that what that would be like. So I don't actually really have to do that. But, but try the practice. Just walk backwards a little bit and, and see what, what that feels like. And then we can check in about it next, next week. Does, does that sound reasonable? I know it's not so spiritual and like existential, whatever. But, but I think it would be really fun to, to practice. Or maybe that's really uh, the heart of spiritual practice. So um, the, the spirit of my asking you to do this homework is just, it's kind of like saying, you know, can I really give myself over to something? And I think this is what Dogen's saying, you know, really to give yourself over to forwardness and backwardness. So um, let's finish chanting. We'll call it a night. Life and death are of supreme importance. Life and death are of supreme importance. Time passes swiftly and opportunity is lost. Time passes swiftly and opportunity is lost. Let us awaken. Let us awaken. 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 May all beings be happy. May all beings be happy. May all beings be healthy. May all beings be healthy. May all beings be safe and free from danger. May all beings be safe and free from danger. May all beings be free from their ancient and twisted karma. May all beings be free from their ancient and twisted karma. May all beings be free from every form of suffering. May all beings be free from every form of suffering. Namaste. So, thank you for being here. Uh, Good luck with your homework. Don't get hurt. (laughs) And please remember that everything we do here is by donation. And your generosity into that box at the back really, really helps us. So, uh, please don't forget to give generously as you leave. So, have a good sleep. Thank you.